This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Hi everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of the A Wee Bit of Everything. This week we've got Bruce Robertson on joining us in the podcast who is a senior leader of teaching and learning within the Scottish Borders. The focus of Bruce's work is primarily on teacher and school empowerment which he believes can be achieved through high quality professional learning. So something, it's it's an episode that I've been looking forward to for a number of weeks now um, after getting in touch with with Bruce to come on to the podcast. Um, Clark and myself have both read his his first book, The Teaching Delusion, um, and taken a lot of good insights from it. So we're going to try and dive a wee bit deeper into some of the concepts and some of those insights that we want to find out a wee bit more about. Um, so we're going to talk a wee bit about his background on his career to date and then we'll move into a wee bit about what, what makes great teaching and his opinion and also how we can strive to make it better in our schools every day. We'll then touch on uh, how much he values a strong professional learning culture um, and then we're going to move on to what, what's high quality feedback and how we can give this in a more purposeful way to raise attainment in our schools. And lastly, we'll just discuss a wee bit about what makes a high quality lesson. Um, and what he thinks are the key themes that we should have run through every lesson, no matter what the subject is. So, without further ado, I think, Lewis, once you put your, your biscuit down and your cup of coffee there, I can see. <laughs> is that a border biscuit? That chocolate. So, um, <laughs> lovely. Um, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get uh, Bruce onto the show, so let's get started. Right, Bruce, welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast. It's great to have you on. How's your day been? Thanks very much for having me on. Great to be on. Uh, good day, thanks. First day back after the February break. We had a week off, which was really nice, relaxing, recharging the batteries. Today was the first day back and uh, yeah, quite full on, but a good one, thanks. It's always good to get the first day in, isn't it, after yeah, a break? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Breaks you back in. Right, well, thanks very much for coming on uh, to share your knowledge and experience as a, a senior leader of teaching and learning, also a head teacher currently. Um, would you be able to give us and the listeners a little background information on your career uh, to date, just to kick us off? Yeah, of course. Um, my background is as a chemistry teacher. Um, I've been working in education for about 20 years. Um, I was appointed deputy head teacher in Eyemouth High School in 2012. Um, Eyemouth is actually the school that I went as a student, so I went back there as the deputy head. I worked there as deputy for about seven years. Um, I did a six-month secondment as a quality improvement officer in Scottish Borders Council and I was appointed the, the rector, the head teacher of Berwickshire High School, which is in Duns in the Scottish Borders. Uh, that was August 2020. So I've been in post for just over 18 months. Okay. And then have you always kind of wanted to be a head teacher? Nope. 
No. No. Um, <laughs> no. When I started, I just I just wanted to be a teacher. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. teaching chemistry was my passion. Um, I did have one eye perhaps on becoming head of department at some point. You know, head mm-hmm. of head of chemistry. Actually, the way things have gone in Scotland, the, there aren't too many head of department opportunities. These things tend to be mm-hmm. head of faculty. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I actually bypassed that. Um, my first promoted post was a, a whole school remit, um, basically a, a principal teacher of teaching and learning, which I did for about four years. And that gave me great experience whole school. And uh, that was that was really what led to me becoming the deputy head in Eyemouth. But I had no aspiration um, when I started in the principal teacher role to be a deputy, it was just as the job evolved and then this opportunity came up, I thought, yeah, maybe I could do that. Maybe I would enjoy that. And yeah. um, I absolutely did. But when I started as the deputy head, um, my colleague, my, my fellow deputy asked me, did I want to be a head? And I said, no. Um, but then things change. So yeah, circumstances change, I suppose. Circumstances change, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to um, get into the book and stuff like that as well, Bruce, or some of the books that you've um, written about and some of the things in it. But what kind of gave you the, what was your kind of spark into writing those books? So I was leading teaching and learning um, work in Eyemouth High School. Um, the school was really making some, some really good progress with that work and our name was starting to, to get out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the school won uh, the GTCS, the General Teaching Council for Scotland, professional learning award um, in 2019 um, on the back of that that there were a lot of schools getting in touch and asking if they could come and visit and um, one of the things that we may talk about later that the school had created and which was really really helping the school was something that we called a lesson evaluation toolkit uh, and I find myself just talking to a lot of people uh, about the same things to do with that toolkit over and over and I, I thought well people do seem to be interested in that. So maybe I'll try to, to put something in writing about that, to, to share it in that way. Um, so my book originally was going to be called Lesson Evaluation Toolkit. That's, that's what it was to be about. Um, but then a friend kind of politely pointed out that that wasn't a particularly exciting title. Yeah. So I rethought that and um, and, and it developed from what it originally was. It was supposed to be a book just about this lesson evaluation toolkit and how you would use it. But because that toolkit itself is a toolkit about pedagogy, mm-hmm. uh, I felt I needed to, to start to get into the different elements of that and start to explain them a little bit more. So the book just kind of grew and grew and grew and became something quite different from what I'd originally intended, but I think more useful as a result. It, it became a richer book. Um, mm. It really does focus on on pedagogy but it focuses on on leadership of pedagogy as well mm-hmm. um how schools can develop professional learning cultures uh it talks about good approaches to self-evaluation and improvement planning and so yeah it's really that with a focus on teaching and learning good uh, bruce see just on uh, just just when you're saying earlier when your first role was as a promoted teacher was your principal teacher of teaching and learning um like you were saying, I gave you an overview of how things were, were running the school. You start, I'm starting to see like more posts like that coming up in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You think that's a kind of positive thing then, like kind of principal teacher of curriculum, health and wellbeing, literacy and numeracy? I think that's going to be the way forward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I credit the senior leadership team in the school I was in at that time with being innovative. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not aware of another school at that time because we're talking 
uh, maybe 2009. Right, okay. 2008, 2009, when that when that post was created, uh, to be honest, it came about because the school was saving money. There was there was some efficiency savings going on, and they'd moved from having three deputy heads to two, and part of the role of one of the deputy heads then then needed to be taken. Um, so it got split up into some whole school middle leadership roles. Right. Okay. Uh, my one was about teaching and learning. Um, and that was that was that was a great way for me to start to get the experience of working at a whole school level uh, with other middle leaders. Um, I wasn't their line manager. Um, I had very little positional authority. This mm-hmm. was really about persuading people and and influencing them. Um, yeah, working collaboratively with them uh, towards a common goal, which was yep. teaching and learning. So that, that gave me tremendous experience, and um, it really did help me then step up into the deputy head role i i've appointed um, one of my first appointments at berwickshire high school since i took over as the, the head teacher i appointed a principal teacher of pedagogy as we call it right. i really prioritized that role um it's a, a non-teaching for four days role and teaching for one so we're, we're investing heavily in that um but what that does is it gives this person a tremendous amount of time to really focus on their remit um there's a yep. lot. There's, there's a lot of lesson observation and coaching that mm-hmm. goes along with it. And this person, number one, has a really strong understanding of what makes effective pedagogy themselves. Is an extremely good teacher himself. Has great people skills, um, and is able to to get into conversations with people that feel supportive uh, and useful, and really helps to move practice on. And then he does other things like lead our professional reading group um, or in-school workshop program. Um, there's a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of work that he does. And he, I think if we're serious about improving teaching and learning, then we really do need to invest in a role like that. Mm-hmm. So see, in terms of, just a wee bit off topic, but I'm quite interested in middle leadership. See, in terms of proving teaching and learning, how big a role does middle leaders play in that? We just say in terms of, I know I've heard statements like the, the engine room of the school and stuff like that. Would you say like the middle leaders have a massive role then yeah. on top? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, so as the head teacher or as the deputy head teacher, um, my day-to-day contact with staff is quite, it's minimal. Um, yeah. The influence that I'm able to have on staff really is through other people. And those other people are really the middle leaders. It's the principal teacher or the, the curricular leader or whatever we call the person that's yep. best placed, I think, to really change things um, within the team that they lead. So it's, it's imperative um, that middle leaders are developed, that they're on board with what the school is trying to do, uh, that they feel empowered um, to, to lead in the way that they think is best. Because more than anybody else in the school, they, they will know the individuals in their team best. They will know how to get the best out of people. Um, and that's what I argue in my books, that that's what leadership is about. It's about getting the best out of people in the pursuit of a clear goal. And middle leaders are key. So we need to invest in their professional development as much as we can. If you take my own middle leadership team in Berwickshire High School, um, we meet as a team, the middle leadership team or the senior leadership team, every Tuesday from four until 4.45. But the first 15 to 20 minutes of that meeting is always a discussion based on reading. So we read a chapter of a book together 
um, in between meetings and the first 15 to 20 minutes minutes is a is a discussion based on that that really helps to get a shared understanding about what makes effective teaching and learning Brilliant. is that after school then yeah yeah so the timetable day finishes at um 3 45 so there's about 15 minutes mm-hmm. and then yeah four until 4 45 um it's that meeting that we have but as much as the focus as much as possible is about developing that leadership capacity so sometimes there's a bit of operational stuff um particularly in times of covid there's a there's a lot of management type stuff that that does need to be discussed and communicated but as much as we can we're making it about professional development hence the reading and discussion as an example brilliant bruce thanks very much for sharing that i suppose what you're doing there is creating a culture as well for professional learning and continually improving yeah 100 and, and we're trying to model something too in that group because um the middle leaders will lead their own department or faculty mm. meetings uh, we do that every fortnight on a monday mm-hmm. from four till five And we ask that as much as possible, that time is about professional development. So principal teachers will will be reading with their team. Um, Some, the same text as we're reading reading together as an extended leadership team. But for others, maybe it's something different. So our maths faculty, for example, are looking at Craig Barton's How I Wish I'd Taught Maths at the moment. Our social subjects faculty are looking at Daisy Christodoulou's Making Good Progress. So they're they're leading that they're 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 the leaders of teaching and learning improvement and um in part what we're doing as a an extended leadership team is is modeling how we would like things uh-huh. to work at a deep or faculty level mm-hmm. should we just say that's a number one then professional learning nothing can beat that in terms of improvement improvement in yes. a school yeah. yes i would i think schools need to prioritize that yep. absolutely put back things that are less important than professional learning don't fall into the trap of thinking that it's a one-size-fits-all model for professional learning. Create as many high-quality opportunities as you can on yep. a week-by-week yep. basis for your staff and trust that the vast majority of your staff will really want to get involved in that. If they're not getting involved in it, there's probably a good reason for it, and that's worth exploring with them. Mm. But the more opportunities we can create, for example, reading groups, um, voluntary workshop programs peer observation programs these sorts of things um the, the more people that will want to get involved and that's what the culture is that's what, so that's what we're talking about when we talk about professional learning culture well, it's, it's just i suppose it's just about making a conscious effort to actually dedicate like you say it doesn't need to be hours and hours like 45 minutes like each Definitely. week or, do you know what i mean it can yeah. be manageable yeah exactly. right and you'll know in scotland um schools will have a working time agreement yeah. um, and it sets out how um, 195 hours of time uh, will be used over the course of the year and what we've tried to do in Berwickshire High School is is put our money where our mouth is and and dedicate blocks of time within that working time agreement for professional learning so if every teacher in Scotland has 35 hours of contractual prof- professional learning but in Berwickshire High School we have um, an additional, I think it's 48 hours, uh, mm. an additional 48 hours, which focuses on professional learning within that working time agreement. And it's not saying exactly what teachers have to do with that time. That's that's up to them. For some, it will be taking part in a whole school professional reading group or the workshop program, say. For others, it might be just doing some reading in their own time and then maybe discussing that with colleagues uh, who they choose to discuss it with. So mm-hmm. you're trying to create the space for people to engage with it. Um, and the opportunities for them 
but without being too directive because um, people tend to react against that. Yeah, I think that's good how you're given, there's 48 hours there, but you can do various things with it, that's good, rather than just being like a working group and you need to go to that working group oh, every yeah. week, you know what I mean? That would make it more, I uh, just said direct. Have that. No, we don't have that. I know that some schools do and maybe that does work for them, um, mm -hmm. but, but my experience and my instinct is that if you force people to go along to a working group, you're, you're not going to get the best out of them. You want, you want people to volunteer for particular groups. Um, that, that's, that's where you're going to get the, the most effective um, working mm -hmm. practice when people want to be there. Yep, agreed. Um, so, Bruce, just kind of on, onto your book a wee bit now then. So, something that I can, uh, because I'm involved directly in the teaching and learning working group and a lot of the stuff that I was reading in your group, I was like, oh, that's something that I can share with the group. And um, I suppose things we can put into practice and obviously try and take some action on it. Um, and it was, you kind of spoke about the importance of having a, a strong professional learning culture. Um, and you can do that, obviously, like a good way to start to do that is having, like what you mentioned earlier, your lesson, lesson evaluation toolkit. Um, could you maybe touch in a wee bit more detail, like what a lesson evaluation toolkit is and how, like, what's the kind of most effective way to kind of embed this within your school to, for it obviously to be effective? Sure. So a lesson evaluation toolkit is um, a framework, basically, a two-page framework, which sets out what typically are the common features of a high quality lesson. So it breaks this down as elements, which are broad practices such as daily review, learning intentions, success criteria, presentation of content, practice, plenary review, say. And then it goes into more specific detail um, about what these things will look like in practice if they're to be effective mm -hmm. as statements. It's been built by the staff in the school. They've, they've been given time. So when I took over as the head teacher, um, we dedicated time to put together our own version of this. Um, I first led that work in Eyemouth High School as mm -hmm. the deputy head. We had a teaching and learning improvement group, which had representation from each of the departments in the school. And they, they planned um, what the session would look like for staff to put this together. But in essence, it was staff working in small groups, having done a little bit of advanced reading, and were basically yeah. just asked, what for you are the common features of a typically high quality lesson? Um, how, how would you map those out in a two page framework? So that was pulled together. Um, staff have ownership of this. They've, they've put it together themselves, but it's not just based on instinct and experience. There's an element of that in it for sure, mm -hmm. but because there's advanced reading gone into it, then it's, it's research informed. Yeah. And the more staff do that reading, the more research informed it will become, um, educational research and cognitive science. So you've got this framework, which you shouldn't see as a permanent structure. It's mm -hmm. something that should, evolve and change over time as your own professional understanding of what makes high quality pedagogy evolves and changes over time. Mm -hmm. But importantly, it's not a tick list. It's not a tool for somebody to go into a lesson, watch the lesson and then go tick, 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 tick. I saw that. I saw that. I didn't see that. Yeah. That's hopeless. <clears throat> that's, that's not what we want at all. 
This is a framework to support self-evaluation, teachers' own reflection on lessons, um, and professional dialogue. It's designed to support coaching conversations. So the way it would typically be used, um, a teacher, somebody's come in to observe a lesson and the teacher's looking for some feedback on that lesson or really, as I prefer to say, to get into a discussion about that lesson um, to help their practice to develop. They complete a self-evaluation of, of the lesson against that framework, maybe using, say, a green, amber, red system. They're going through the different points in the framework and they're mm -hmm. just marking it as green, amber, red, or they're writing reflective comments. So these are, these are prompts, they're cues to get te the teachers to think about specific aspects of their practice. But the person who observed the lesson is using the framework in exactly the same way. So, so now you've got people thinking about the same specific elements of pedagogy. And when they get into a conversation about it, the conversation may go along the lines, I say to the person, the teacher, um, talk me through your self-evaluation. Let, let's have a conversation about that. Um, start, if you like, with the elements that you've highlighted as, as green or amber or red, or just, just talk through it in terms of the structure. And then I would chip in and we'd have a conversation. But it's the fact that we're referring to the same framework, which is so important, and will help us to, it will help us to avoid the scenario whereby, depending on who observes the lesson, say, uh -huh. you get wildly different feedback or, yeah. or the, the conversation goes in a completely different direction to it, the way it would have with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So somebody says, well, um, students need to lead their learning more or the teacher was talking too much or there were issues with the pace or you need to differentiate more. The, the, the conversation well, you avoid getting into conversations like that because the conversation is really structured and guided by this lesson evaluation toolkit. And that's its power. And what you're doing is you're developing a shared understanding of what makes high quality teaching across the school because everybody's reflecting on and thinking about the same elements of practice. Because you've got that structure, you can you can start to focus your improvement planning as an individual, as a department, faculty, as a school, on specific elements as highlighted in this toolkit. Yeah. Um, because you're all, you're all thinking about the same things and you know mm -hmm. where there are relative areas of strength and areas where there needs to be improvement. So that in essence is, is what it is. And so like you said, it can be obviously it evolves and tweaks over time. Do like individual departments, do they tweak it to suit obviously their thing? Or is this just like a school-wide toolkit that the learning teaching group potentially have, they've created and then obviously shared it school-wide so everybody's kind of singing from the same hymn page, I feel like? Correct. But the, the process of putting it together is so important. Yeah. So it is a school-wide framework. And as I said, it will evolve over time, but it's not a case of it'll change in... PE in one way and it will change mm. in maths in another way. Great. It is a common framework that, that we use as a school. Um, different departments have put together their own returns on this and the teaching and learning uh, group pulled that together in a draft form, but then mm. that was put back out to people again. So here's the draft of the framework, comments, tweaks, suggestions. So people do feel that it's theirs 
we've, yeah. we've created this. We've created this as a school. I suppose we're proud of it for that reason. I definitely, and I suppose like if you are trying to get that sort of culture of constantly improving teaching and learning, where you're getting having people come into your lesson and doing those sort of informal observations, if you like, um, they're part of creating this toolkit that. Um, obviously they're going to be receiving feedback on so I suppose you could choose like specific elements of it that you that's want right. to focus on for your for your own teaching and learning for your own improvement I suppose and well, that yeah that's another part of it that again in, in the book it would talk about this that each teacher has their own professional learning plan mm-hmm. so one that's a one-page document and it's got three parts part one says which element of practice are you focusing on developing at the moment and that element will be one of the elements from the lesson evaluation toolkit. And then it will say, how, how are you going to develop that? And it gives the steer as in um, professional reading or observation of colleagues or um, somebody getting somebody else in to observe you, for example. So, so they detail what specific actions they're going to take. And then the third part, the final part is the review part. When is this going to be reviewed? usually with your line manager, um, sitting down and talking about that professional learning plan and the progress that, that you've made with it. And different teachers in the school will have different elements of pedagogy that they're focusing on improving. It may be that a team, a department, a faculty have decided we're all going to focus on presentation of content. Mm-hmm. Or it may be that the department, the faculty has said, well, actually, it doesn't need to be as consistent as that. Each person can just decide uh, which element of practice they want to focus on themselves. So somebody might have questioning, somebody might have feedback, somebody might have differentiation. Yeah, has it ever been? Has, has, has ever been? I'm oh, sorry, sorry, no, Bruce. Okay. Has it ever been as focuses that where you've had a teacher saying? Because I know we've had a previous guest on Ali McGregor, who's a head teacher down south. Um, he spoke about a peer observation program they had up and running in the school, mm-hmm. and they would pick, for example, I would pick. Uh, question I'd ask for you to come in to look at my, my yeah. question and get your thoughts on it and then obviously you'd be taking notes and I would self-evaluate is it ever as focused as that where you get teachers asking other teachers to come in and look at specific yes. elements of it yeah in in some areas of the school absolutely mm-hmm. I don't think everybody's in that place just yet but absolutely um there are a, a significant number of teachers who are doing exactly as you said that they've identified questioning uh, and they feel confident enough to invite somebody in um, to observe and to give them feedback. It might be the PT pedagogy, mm-hmm. uh, or it might be somebody else uh, in the school who is identified as being relatively strong in that area. Mm-hmm. And our PT pedagogy has, has put that together as a document for staff, um, the different elements of the lesson evaluation toolkit, mm-hmm. and where, where there, there are strengths in the school. So with daily review, it's, this teacher and this teacher and this teacher are particularly strong with that or questioning this teacher, this teacher, this teacher, particularly strong. And importantly, the way that the PT pedagogy has put this together, every teacher is included in that. There's no teacher missed out. Every Mm -hmm. teacher is relatively strong in at least one area. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's a useful resource to staff, I think. So it seems in terms of embedding this into your school, like obviously it's important, like we, we could get a template one from your book to get like a, a rough idea of how it's structured, broken down, what it looks like. What's the sort of time frame do you think to get something like this up and running? And what do you, what's, the, what's the best starting point, I guess? 
you can put it together quicker than you might imagine. Uh, you can put it together within the space of a month for sure, right. um, maybe even slightly less. Um, I've gone through this process in three different schools now, mm-hmm. producing, producing three different lesson evaluation toolkits, and it's had tremendous success um, in each school. Um, you're, you're looking to dedicate at least an hour for that time where people are working in groups to, to thrash out what their preferred version of a toolkit would be. A minimum of an hour, I would say. Yeah. So a twilight session, but maybe better if you have an inset, an inset day when you've got a little bit more time. Uh-huh. It would, so that people aren't just coming at it cold, it would be good if there had been some advanced professional reading, maybe just directing teachers to, to one or two um, short documents. Rosenshine Barrett, Rosenshine's Principles of Instruction yeah. isn't, that's not a bad one to start with because it's mm. relatively short and it will get people thinking along the right lines. Yeah. Um, and then maybe a week or so for your, your teaching and learning group to pull that together as a draft and then sending it out to staff in draft form, maybe a week or so mm-hmm. for returns and then finalizing that. You can see you can get it done in about three or four weeks. So again, just starting with your teaching and learning working group for this and then yeah. to get it together and then going staff wide with it. I think so. You know, yep. somebody within that group suggesting how it be done along the lines of what I've said, but it's good for the teaching and learning group to discuss that mm-hmm. because then everybody feels that they have got some buy-in into that process. Yeah, and definitely. There'll be some good ideas and suggestions come out of that. Um, yeah, and then after that, making sure that everybody is involved in, in pulling draft versions of the toolkit together. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, some staff will will throw themselves into that 100%. And you'll have some staff who are a little bit more reluctant to get yeah. involved. But, but experience tells me that everybody will get involved and everybody will, will want to have their say in that and their input. And then, and then once it starts to get used, then people see the, the real power. The value in it, yeah. So once you've got that, so once you've got your final document, like your final um, evaluation toolkit, mm-hmm. I take it that's when you can start doing like your getting, inviting people into your lesson and or yeah. going and do that sort of peer feedback thing where you're picking different elements of it. Definitely. That's right. And you can, you can pick one, two, three. You can, you can self-evaluate against the whole toolkit. Yeah. Um, some teachers will use it um, to help with their lesson planning. So when they're, they're thinking about a lesson, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a second that people should be writing out lesson plans unless that suits them. Uh-huh. Uh, but what, the, what some teachers will do is they'll have the lesson evaluation toolkit to hand. And when they're thinking about the lesson, they're just referring to it. Yeah. Now, to make sure that. the more they do that and the more they reflect on lessons against it, then the more used to it they get. And, and then ultimately, uh, you know, myself, for example, because I'm using it all the time, you don't really need to refer to it anymore because you, you've almost got it in your in your head. Uh, that's I, I like that. And I think, see also just now we've got a student in our department. I think it's also something that would be useful when giving feedback to, to a student as well. Because sometimes you just have like these evaluation sheets and they're, they're just so right. vague and you're, you're trying right. to think of like key things to write and good bits of feedback. But actually, if you've got something like that, I suppose yeah. it would yeah. useful for... Good habit to get in It'd be, it would be good um, yeah, as a student to have had that sort of feedback along the lines of a, a lesson evaluation toolkit. I think that would be... Well, that's the feedback that we get from student teachers. We have a lot of student teachers come to Berwickshire High School and, and that's what they say. And uh, many of their tutors as well have been very complimentary. They've taken it back to the, 
to the university. The university, I think, yeah. I think Napier, for example, um, uh-huh. I think they, they've developed something pretty similar to that, certainly in some of the subjects that they, yeah. they lead. So I take it they would give it to their students to take out to the schools with them, and that's the sort of feedback they're kind of yeah. shapes those discussions. Not brilliant. Yeah. Um, on you go. Just a note, I'm just moving on to the next question, unless you want to finish up. Uh, um, no, that was, that was great. I would, uh, um, that's kind of clarified a few things for me. Um, um, looking forward to, to our next meeting to have a wee chat about that. So thanks very much for that, Bruce. Right, moving on to, I've read your first book, uh, Bruce, and I know there's a, there's a bit on kind of high quality feedback. Um, I'm really keen to kind of develop myself further and how I give feedback to, to my pupils. I know this is one an important way to raise attainment and in the BGE or whether it's in the senior phase as well. Um, you speak about how it's important for students to understand how they're doing and how they how they can improve. Um, feedback's a way that we can do this. So that's a very specific question. Um, how would you go about leading a group of teachers with the aim of improving high quality, consistent feedback like in their lessons, if it was a group of teachers in your school? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So on the one hand, it seems self-obvious that if you get feedback, then that will help you, so you would think. But, but that's not actually what the research will tell us on feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, some feedback can actually have a negative effect on learning. So we need to consider why. So my first piece of advice would be to read um, about feedback. Yeah. Um, as you say, I, I talk about it in, in my first book, The Teaching Delusion. I talk about it in more detail in Power Up Your Pedagogy, which is my third book. There are other authors as well. Uh, John Hattie, uh, for example, has a book which is all about feedback. Um, Dylan William, his, um, his book, Embedding Formative Assessment, that's very, very useful on feedback. Um, my first piece of advice would be for staff to do some high quality reading on feedback uh, so that you're avoiding the whole um, well, the reliance on on instinct and intuition, which which has its place, but yep. um, I think I think the more that we can read and upskill ourselves about the key messages from from research, uh, I think that's key. Um, so, what would some of those be? Well, Dylan William talks um, about the current state and the goal state, and what we're trying to do with feedback is to is to get from one to the other, the current state to the goal state. Yep. And all that really matters, he would argue, is that the feedback is useful. And he's very careful in the words that he uses. Um, He gives some good examples of how accurate might be seen to be the thing for feedback, accurate feedback. But as you may have found when you try to write learning intentions, for example, if you try to be very accurate and precise in what you're saying, it, it ends up not being useful because you end up using far too many words, trying to become more and more accurate in what you're saying. And you, yeah. you end up yeah. being accurate, but it's not useful because mm-hmm. it's impenetrable to the student. So Dylan William is arguing that feedback that is useful is, is the feedback that's most important. Um, and I would add to that, that it's equally important that feedback is perceived as being kind. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that it always has to be positive. It doesn't always need to be highlighting the things that have gone well. It's important, of course, that students feel that they can make mistakes, that they can learn from the mistakes, uh, and that's not perceived negatively. 
So we can be critical, but so long as the intent behind it is clear, which is that the feedback is kind, we've got your best interests at heart. Well, mm -hmm. that's, that's as important, I think, as the feedback being useful. We're looking for feedback which motivates students. Um, we're, we're looking for feedback which ultimately does ourselves as teachers out of a job. Um, because we don't want them to have to rely on us for feedback anymore. The more expert they become in what they're doing, the more they can give themselves feedback. I talk mm -hmm. about it in my books as internal feedback conversations. They're starting to have this silent conversation with themselves, looking at their work, what they've done, uh, and critiquing that themselves. It was your feedback as the teacher that ultimately got them to that point, mm -hmm. but now they don't really need you anymore. Yeah, remember you said in the last... Sorry, I just remember you said in the book as well about how when you're, the language you use, like that was good because you followed through towards your target. Like you're making it explicit about what it was that was good, yeah. and you use it because as a kind of linking phrase. Um, so oh, can, yeah, thanks. Can try, yeah, can try that's that right. Yes, well. good. Yes, the explaining why. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, maybe two more things to say. It's very important that students are experiencing success. That's what's motivating. So I talk yep. in the books about the delusion of motivational messages and praise, because if that's not sincere, um, it's quickly perceived as hollow by students and actually becomes demotivated. The thing that will motivate students and teachers is the experience of success. So we're often having to break down complex concepts and procedures into small, smaller chunks and let students experience the success of that. If they're not experiencing success within a reasonable time frame, you can give as many motivational messages as you like. Keep going, try harder, come on, you can do it. That, that, that won't do anything. It'll just annoy them in the end. Mm -hmm. They need feel, feel progress. Success. Yeah, absolutely. And the very last thing I think I want to say about it is, it's so important that we have proof that the student understands the feedback. Yep. We, we, can, we can think to ourselves that we've explained this very well, that we've, we've, we've taken great care uh, to, to talk about the current state and the goal state and how to move from one to the other, that we've broken it down into a bite-sized chunk, et cetera. We've been kind in our delivery. But what we need is proof that they understand the feedback. Hence, they need to do something with it, which is why I talk certainly in the third book about the practice feedback loop. The, the, the two things are integral, practice mm -hmm. and feedback. You practice, you need feedback. You, you got feedback and now you need to practice because the student needs to see that they've, they've got it, but the teacher needs to see that they've got it too. Yeah, that's good. I think something was, I was thinking when you were speaking there, we had a, a guest on recently, they were talking about the curse of expertise and how you think you've maybe explained something really well mm -hmm. um, because you're obviously, uh, you do it every year with different classes that yeah. come through, but then that can also be a, de a detriment because it's yeah. a new group. It's a new group, and you might need to explain it in a different way because they're learning a different way. So that's hundred percent. So um, you know, if I want, if, what I should really be doing here is I should be asking you both to explain back to me um, what what makes high quality feedback. <laughs> I I need to check. You you can say to me that um, yeah 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 that that makes sense and I understand it. Mm -hmm. But there's an illusion of learning there because yeah. just because you have understood something 
and it makes sense to you doesn't mean that you're actually going to remember it. There hasn't been the change in long-term memory that you think there has been. Mm -hmm. It just made sense. You attempt to explain it back or explain it to a colleague tomorrow <laughs> and you realize that most of what was said you've, you've forgotten. Oh, no, no. So that, that, that proving it and doing something with it is very, very important. Something we're so guilty of, but when we're teaching, isn't it? Well, like, certainly me anyway is just saying, does that make sense? Do you understand that? Rather than actually questioning their understanding as opposed mm -hmm. to saying, do you understand this? Or, right, so just yes. repeat back to me. What did I just say there? Okay, so what have yeah. you got to do when um, you score or something, if you're doing a condition game or something like that, right? What yeah. has your team got to do? Do you know what I mean? Just so that they're actually telling you. Uh, That's right. Rather than just a yes or no. Or a 50-50 answer. Or a, or a shake of the head. Mm -hmm. And it's often because we're, we're pushed for time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so the reason that I'm not saying to you now is um, just explain back to me what makes high-quality feedback. Why are we not doing that, really? Um, well, other than the fact it might be perceived as patronising, it's because yeah. we don't really have the time just now. And what's really important is that we make that time mm -hmm. because we're not interested as teachers in simply explaining things and modeling yeah. things as best we can. That's an important part of teaching. But of course, ultimately what we're interested in is students learning what we plan for them to learn. And we need to get evidence of them learning that, which is yeah. why we need to make the time for them to prove things to us. Uh -huh. Well, see if you tune into this episode when it goes live, Bruce, we always do our takeaway messages. So I'm sure Clark will touch on that. So we'll see how much he's understood the bit about feedback and <laughs> that. So you'll be able to check his understanding from that. Um, I'm going to buy my A game tonight. I <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, so, Bruce, I was going to say on the feedback um, about the success criteria and how important that is to keep the focus of the lesson mm -hmm. um, within that 50 minute period. I think it's really useful to kind of have that checking for understanding at the end. Um, what would your thoughts on be just quickly on the, the success criteria um, in terms of the kids kind of being able to self, self assess against that at the end? Is that, is that a useful well, way I, as well? I talk, I, talk, I talk in some detail on the teaching delusion and empower up your pedagogy about yep. success criteria. Um, I argue that there's really three different types of success criteria. Um, there's the, the I can statements like I can describe, I can explain, I can draw, that, that kind of thing. That's one form. Um, there's key features. So I'm looking for this and this and this. So more useful probably in something that's more practical. Yeah, technique. And then there's, then there's exemplars. So this is what a good one looks like. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, or, or a non-exemplar, non um, this isn't what a good one looks like. And then, and then exploration. So the I can statements, the key features, or examples. I think those are the three forms of success criteria uh, mm -hmm. that, that really uh, we're using in the classroom. Um, sometimes it's appropriate for students to help to construct the success criteria. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine, for example, in the key features, there could be real merit in trying to tease those out as a class. Other times not. Say the I can statements. Um, you, you're just wasting your time. You, uh -huh. you're, just, you're just a tokenistic gesture to get the students to, to come up with those themselves. The teacher's the expert. They know what they're looking for. Yep. Um, you're, just, you're just wasting time with that. But for students to use success criteria um, to self-assess, to peer assess, 
Um, that can be very, very powerful. The only thing I would add to that, and I talk about it in the books, is they need to use them to prove it. Mm -hmm. So resist the temptation to tick off I can statements. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Or to green amber red them yeah. without having to prove it. So as in like so, write so, it down or say yeah, it. Exactly. Or do it yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. Do some, because it's like we were talking about before with the feedback. And I say to you, um, did you understand? Have you, have you learned what I meant by useful feedback? And you're like, mm -hmm. yes, I can. Yeah. You would say that. You feel mm -hmm. that yourself. But mm -hmm. you're overconfident. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what the research would say. Most students, most people will be overconfident in, in what they have learned, what, what they know, what they can do. So yeah. we need to get them to prove it. That's one of the yeah. challenging things in PE as well, because a lot of the success criteria, especially in your, your junior classes, S1 test three, it's a lot of your assessment is your observation of them in a practical context. So how they're actually moving, how well they are executing a certain skill. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose they can, but the, the evidence primarily comes from your observation skills from mm -hmm. to see if they can actually right. to do that or yeah, not. Yeah, and, and in the example you're talking about in PE, PE say, um, you can't really see it yourself unless uh -huh. somebody's filmed you. Yeah. And so you're reliant on somebody else. Now, it might be the expert, the teacher, mm -hmm. or it might be somebody who's developing expertise, another student. Yeah. Um, and, and then the quality and the usefulness of the criteria, well, that becomes all important. Because mm -hmm. it's one thing, like, I know, um, like, sometimes if I'm doing, like, maybe an athletics lesson, if we're looking at the javelin or something that has got a really complex breakdown in terms of the... Um, the teaching points and how mm -hmm. to actually execute mm -hmm. the skill well it's like it's not necessarily always 100% reliable if you're getting another peer in their class to yeah. to go through that because they don't really know what they're looking for they, right. they don't do you know what right. I mean they don't, don't really know prior, what, prior learning. yeah or they don't have aye, they don't they could maybe just be doing it as a friend and just ticking all the boxes mm -hmm. to say yeah they're doing that really well when in actual fact it's just tokenistic um, isn't it just yeah exactly it, it can be aye. yeah that's similar yeah, to what you were saying, Bruce, about, right. about the, the I can statements there. That was what you were saying, wasn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean, yeah. but I mean mm. something something I've tried to do like a lot more recently is like the, the use of like show me boards and getting them in pairs and actually so if I am doing like I can statements on the board, so if it's to describe something or explain something, get them in their pairs or individually to actually write down their answers onto a show me board so because it is hard if you're trying to do that like mm. all right okay can you describe that right well well done that's that that's one person answered that you've not how do you know if the rest of them have done it whereas if they're actually writing it down you can actually be walking around as they're as they're doing that at the end of the lesson or you know yeah especially in a PE context is where it can be quite tricky so show me boards are transformative um and to anybody listening to this if 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 they're not routine, routinely using show me boards and lessons, I'd really ask them to consider doing that because mm -hmm. they're not a gimmick. Yeah. Um, yeah. They are so powerful. They do three things, really. Um, they, they, they demand that every student thinks about every question that you ask them. Uh -huh. um, they, they get them, they get every student to commit to a response yeah. because they're putting it in writing or they're drawing it on the board. And then they give the teacher formative information about the learning of every student. Yep. And um, it's those three things that are just really so powerful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always need, I suppose it doesn't always need to be a case. Like maybe if you're doing like simple questions where it's trying to, so it could be like answer A and answer B, like um, 
multiple choice questions or something, right? Hold mm-hmm. up what your answer is. Is it true or false? A, B, yep. whatever it may be. But I suppose you can do it if you're getting them to describe something. I suppose they don't necessarily always need to be holding it up because if you've yeah. got quite a long answer, I suppose you could be walking around and right. making them. I mean, it's quite, it's, it's an, e- an easy fix as well, isn't it? If they've just got a wee sponge there, wipe it off and just... I think just even by the presence of you walking around and making sure they're thinking hard enough and writing it down and yeah. making that yeah. visible. Yeah, it, as long right. as... I, I, and you guys just say as long as they're thinking and they're actually like you say they're committing to an answer mm-hmm. whereas you don't actually know if they're just sitting there they're not they're just they could be thinking about their lunch or anything else they're, they're and a lot of them would be and, and you know it is useful for them often to hold them up but as you say that's not always essential and then some people might say well why can't they just do it on a piece of paper or in their jotter but the, but the fact is that when they do it on a show me board they will they will typically write much bigger yeah. Mm-hmm. So you as a teacher, you're just walking around the room and you're just glancing and you're taking in all this information and you can give live feedback in the moment. You can say, you know, good, good, that's right. Just watch that. Mm-hmm. Or you can just take it in quietly and then address the class and say something like, well, I can see that almost all of you got this, but I saw a couple of you, this was a common mistake, um, yeah. this, this, this wasn't quite right. So it can yeah. be that one-to-one feedback going back to feedback that we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, it can be one-to-one like that, or it can be the whole class message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aye, so that's, that's what um, I read in the, the book with Doug Lum, obviously teach like a champion one, and he was speaking, because I was looking at something, because you, obviously you get the videos and stuff like that with it as well, um, and it was a video of the, the maths teacher, and he was going round with his clipboard, and he had, I think he said he has like kind of common errors that are made when he's doing this yeah. lesson on like remainders or something, mm-hmm. and um he was going round and he'd, once he got to like a certain amount of students who had fell at that hurdle, he would stop the class and then he would go and model it on the board. Whereas he, everyone was working away, but he wasn't necessarily stopping the class. He was just walking round and just yeah. it, like his clipboard, like tracking their progress and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, big fan of Doug Lamont's mm. work. Yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. And uh, if you've got the behaviour and discipline right as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's... <laughs> But anyway, but I, that's, I know, but it's just trying to find those like efficient ways no, no, to, to gather all that evidence. But I, it, it needs to be quick and effective, doesn't it? When you're, when you're doing it, if you're only giving them, say, two minutes to do the task, it needs to be something that's uh, quick and effective so you can see they're, they're learning. I think show me boards definitely do that. Mm-hmm. They do, yeah, so long as you're not expecting them to write too much at one time because, yeah. um, well, that takes too long and, and it's too much for the teacher to take in. So yeah, you have to try right. to keep it as, as tight as you can. Yeah, brilliant. Right, thanks very much for that, Bruce. Right, moving on to the last question of the main part of the, the episode. Um, this can be as long or as short as, as you wish. Um, in your opinion, what makes a, a high-quality lesson? We usually ask this, what, what do you think makes a high-quality teacher? But mm-hmm. actually, the credit needs to go to you there, Bruce. As of reading the teaching delusion, we've, we've changed it to what makes a high-quality lesson so we can talk more about teaching and learning so we'll switch switch up and you're the second guest to to answer it (laughs) well it's certainly in the teaching delusion i argue that the lesson is the delivery unit of teaching and learning so it makes sense to me uh, to think about the lesson as a unit i think doug lemoff says something similar um and i know that, that, that some people will argue that that um we need to make clear the distinction that, that a lesson isn't necessarily a period, that a lesson can span more than one period. And, that, and that's fair enough. I wouldn't get too hung up on that. But I think the lesson as an entity, as, as a unit, is, is, is a very useful way to think about teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, more overarching, I think I, I, in the teaching delusion, when I'm talking about what makes great teaching, 
um, I talk about the importance of all students learning what we plan for them to learn. So the learning component is, is key, but so too is enjoyment, students enjoying what they are learning. Now, they're both important, but one is more important than the other, much more important than the other when it comes to planning lessons. We need to plan for the learning and trust that the enjoyment will come through success mm -hmm. and high quality pedagogy. If we plan for the enjoyment, the danger is that we end up with students who are just busy doing yeah. things, having a good time, but actually they're not learning very much or anything at all. And but so, that just be the learning intention then, making sure you you've planned that well in advance. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I think it's it, it's underestimated actually how difficult it is to write a strong learning intention. Yeah. Um, and I and I write about that in the teaching delusion and power up your pedagogy as well. Um, it's my most popular post on my blog, teachingdelusion.com, the one that I have on learning intentions and success criteria. Um, and I think there's a sort of um, you know, penny dropping moment that, that, that will come for teachers, I hope certainly when, when they read about what I'm, what I'm talking about learning intentions in these books. Uh, but a bit like what we said earlier about accurate doesn't necessarily mean useful. You, 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 can, you can write an accurate learning intention, but it's not useful to the student because it's too, it's too much to it, it's too complicated. Uh, it's not in student friendly language, for example. But going back to the point, um, what makes a high quality lesson? I argue in the books really that it's useful to think about lessons in terms of specific elements. Typically, then, um, beginning with a short review activity, that you might mm -hmm. call daily review, uh, get students to, to think back over prior learning, maybe recent or less recent, probably links to the learning ahead that's giving the teacher formative information about what the students already know. Um, because it's, it's, it's the David Archibald quote that the most important factor in determining what we teach is evidence of what students already know. So mm -hmm. beginning with that daily review, having a clear learning intention, which we don't need students to be writing down. Uh -huh. We just need to make the time to share that with students. Um, clear success criteria in one of the three forms that we've talked about, the I can statements, the key features or the exemplars. Mm -hmm. uh, presentation of content, the opportunity to practice, and then a review at the end of the lesson, um, where you're, you're trying to generate evidence of what students have understood as a result of the lesson. And it's important to say that that evidence of short-term performance is not evidence of long-term learning. Yep. You're just getting a measure of what has actually been understood in the lesson. Um, those are probably the structural features of a typically high quality lesson. Not that I'm saying every lesson needs to be exactly the same, but typically. Um, mm, that's, really, would... that's really useful. Yep, and um, I'd throw into that um, the importance of making sure that there's appropriate support and challenge for everyone, that there is frequent interaction um, through questioning and opportunities for discussion, either in small groups or better probably as a whole class. So I talk in the books about direct interactive instruction rather than just direct instruction. Mm. Um, 
I think as well, the last thing I would say is making sure there is a calm, orderly and purposeful learning environment. Because it doesn't matter how solid your subject knowledge is as a teacher, mm-hmm. um, how many great activities you have planned for students, how good your learning intention is. If you don't have a minimum standard of student behavior, then your students are not going to learn. So that calm, orderly, purposeful learning environment is key. It's a good way to finish, um, I would say, Lewis. Um, so thanks so, very much, Bruce, for, for sharing all your, your experience and a huge amount of knowledge um, on, on the teaching and learning and the various other things we got into there. So really appreciate your time. Um, Lewis will finish us off with the, the quick fire round, mm. if you don't mind. So three, three quick questions to finish us off, Bruce. Are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. Right, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? And it doesn't need to be teacher-specific, can be anything at all. Mm-hmm. I'll pick something teacher-specific. So I quite like the, um, the keep calm and. Right. So my giant billboard would probably say, uh, keep calm and read the Teaching Delusion trilogy. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> Can't argue with that. No, Number two, which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Um, so education is a huge part of my life. So in education, um, Dylan William, um, I'll single out, and um, Sir John Jones, who wrote The Magic Weaving Business. And, and if you haven't read that, I'd really encourage you to read The that. Magic Weaving Business? Yes, The Magic Weaving Business, Sir John Wait, that Jones. A, te- a teaching book? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, inspirational. Can all right. that. And beyond education, um, I'm a big fan of Bill Bryson. Um, in particular, what he writes on science, because I have a science background. So his uh-huh. book, um, A Short History of Nearly Everything, I think is one of the best books ever written. A Short History of Nearly Everything. Nice. See on, see on Dylan William, um, that would be some episode, wouldn't it, Bruce? Imagine we could get him on. Oh, he's incredible. He's, 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 so good, he's so good to listen to. He's, he's so wise. Um, and he just has a great way of communicating um i could sit and listen to dylan william all day yeah that's one for us to maybe get in the 100th episode (laughs) (laughs) reach for it right final one then bruce what top three tips would you give to our teacher listeners right now to improve the quality of their teaching Uh, read as much as you can um teaching delusion trilogy isn't a bad place to start if you're not using show me boards um start to do that and build regular review opportunities into as many lessons as you can daily review uh, weekly review monthly review mm-hmm. um, build those into your practice because uh, the act of of thinking about things that you've already covered for students will strengthen the memory it will help their learning but just as important it will give you powerful formative information about what your students have or haven't learned. Mm-hmm. So read, um, use show me boards, and build in regular review retrieval practice. I think that's a really good one for, for PE teachers listening as well, like how, especially for starter tasks and that, it could be something practical when they come in, they can build on something they learned on from the, or that they covered in the last lesson. It could be a couple of questions and whilst you're waiting on others coming in from the changing rooms, so it's like they're in straight yeah. away and they can, they can be yeah, doing that. Yeah, it's also like what you were saying, Lewis, the you've got a walk to your playing field and so far, but, but sometimes it's giving them a, a, yeah. walk, and t- a walk and talk uh, yeah, absolutely. discussion for two minutes when they're walking to the field and then when you go, you're getting responses from 
problem. Mm. I think that's, that's a really useful way that you were speaking about the other day. Aye. Because of the kind of movement, movement aspect of PE, mm. they're always going between changing rooms and... and the, the limited work. time that you have. Aye. Just maximising the lesson. Bruce, final thing I want to ask you, right, just very quickly. Um, see in terms of, like, fi- finishing a lesson, doing your plenary or whatever, what if you're teaching a lesson and you've not got a double period and you get to the end of it and you've not covered everything that you like and maybe you don't end up getting around to doing a plenary or whatever it is, yeah. is that okay to... Obviously, if, it, if the time doesn't fit, like, again, just carry that on to the next lesson oh yeah definitely definitely for sure and you know that happens to everybody uh, yeah. even you know the most experienced teacher um the most expert teacher um that happens to everybody you know sometimes just time just runs away from us or or actually we deliberately decide to go down a route that we haven't planned to go down but we can see tremendous value in that yeah mm-hmm. no point rushing a plenary yeah, just definitely. because your lesson evaluation toolkit includes it or you think that your school expects it every time. Try to plan for it um, because they done right, they're useful. They'll help you to revisit that learning intention, yeah. get some evidence of, of understanding in the lesson. But but don't just tag it on for the sake of it and don't force it in if you know you're running mm-hmm. out of time because your students will see straight through that. They won't see any value in it. Yeah, you need, you need to make the time and the space for it to be effective. Yeah, because yeah. that was what that was one of the conversations that we had because that was the thing that a lot of the um, the teachers were wanted a bit more kind of upskilling on, I guess, was more ideas for plenaries and things. How can we can we consolidate the learning a wee bit more efficiently? And some, someone raised a good point of saying there's no point in doing it for plenary's sake, mm-hmm. for the sake of doing a plenary. So, no, that was good just to kind of get your thoughts on that there. So, thanks very much. Um, but, no, that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. So, I think, Clark said that was episode 89. So, thanks very much for giving up your time tonight and coming on to, to share your thoughts and insights from the work you've been doing. Great to be on. Thank you very much for having me. It was really nice to meet you. Thanks again. Likewise, both of you. Thank you. Well, Clark, another episode, another set of takeaway messages. I feel like I'm running out of things to say and how to link the main episode to the takeaways. So hopefully that wasn't too bad for the people listening. I think there's lots to say in here. That's that's maybe something I need to work on is those wee linking phrases taken us for the main episode and the takeaways. I think I've been harsh there. Uh, you think so? I'm very harsh on yourself. My own worst critic. I think we all are, but I think you in particular. Um. <laughs> no, but genuinely a, a very, very good episode. I mean, you had Bruce on there. It's a, um, a head teacher. He's been working in education for 20 years, I think he said. Um, first as a, a teacher like you and I. As a head of department and then deputy, and then obviously he's worked his way up to head teacher. Um, and his main push and drive through the last few years is obviously been on teaching and learning as he's brought out three books. Um, if you've not read any of them, I, I, I highly recommend. I've, I've read the first one, which was absolutely fantastic. And it was great having him on tonight to kind of pick his brains on um, some of the, the key insights and stuff that we took from the book. Um, so, I, with that being said, Clark, do you want to kick us off with the the takeaway message or your takeaway message from tonight's episode? I think I think you can speak to Bruce all night, really, to be honest, because mm-hmm. he's got such a, a fountain of knowledge would be probably the best the best expression to use. Mm-hmm. He just know knows so much about uh teaching and learning. You know, um obviously you spoke about the three books that you wrote. Uh I'd recommend to anybody who's out there listening out, you could definitely read them. We've read the first one and 
I'm sure I'll be reading the next one, uh, the next couple over the next few months when I can get the time. But um, I would my takeaway message back to the original whole point of this is the takeaway message. So I would keep it short and sharp for this. I would keep it focused on the feedback. How do the students understand the feedback he was talking about? Um, you would need to make sure that you provide a practice feedback loop, that you called it. So if you give feedback, you then need to give them the opportunity to uh, try the question again, whether it's a, a written one-mark answer, two-mark answer, or whether it's in a practical sense, um, when you're asking them to do a forward row again, or a, a particular skill, then once you've given the feedback, you need to give them opportunities to practice it again. And then hopefully, if if they've done it if they've done it uh, really well, then you can give them positive feedback. Um, Lewis might touch on a wee bit about uh, that in his takeaway message. But if they've not done it correctly and they're still not on the level, then you can give another another piece of feedback um, and making sure it's obviously immediate and continuous would help. So now that would be my that would be my key takeaway message would be um, ensure that everybody in the class has the opportunity to, to practice the feedback that you're given mm-hmm. um, and, and, plan for, and planning for everyone in the class to learn as well, just as if you added extra. And that, mm-hmm. that, and that, and that can be done through uh, learning intentions that are obviously not just accurate because sometimes that's not useful, but also they are um, specific. So I think that's probably my problem. It's pretty, sometimes it's very vague um, and allow learning just to occur inst- through instinct. And they say that's good in a way, but you should also plan for for what you're wanting everybody to learn, and then work from there. Yeah, no, I, I totally um, I'm with you on what you were saying about feedback as well. I thought it was a brilliant um, piece that you spoke about, and uh, to, to what, kind of build what, on. What was your What was your key takeaway message actually? Please. Um, so mine is actually just to elaborate on what you said there. I've got a, I've got my own one here, but just to kind of build on your piece about feedback, Mr. Burrow, I liked what Bruce said about how feedback needs to be kind, and it's something that I've kind of it resonated with me as well, especially with um, some of my classes this year when you're giving them feedback. Some pupils, if it's like you might think you're giving feedback in a, a kind way, and you're hoping to get like that positive response or to kind of increase motivation levels and stuff with your feedback. Um, but I think you need to try and be aware of how you're giving that feedback. Do you know what I mean by that? So you could give it and then the, the people could maybe feel like it's not like a personal attack, but as if they're not doing good enough. Or So I think it's just being mindful of how you come across when you're... By the words, you, um, your words yeah, you use. the words that you use and how you articulate your feedback. So I guess that's something that you can um, and I think massively, on. Massively on that, just as I was thinking there, the tone, I think, mm-hmm. what you mean as well. Mm-hmm, see, definitely. See the tone that you use. That's Aye. very, very. That's also maybe more important than the word you actually use. And is it is it more suitable for one people maybe to give that feedback in private? Do you know what I mean? We Aye. are away from the the, the limelight of the class, or can they? Is that people that can? You feel like they can receive that in front of everybody else? Do you know what I mean? Like some people can deal with that well, some others can't. So and I um, think I think you know, your, of, you, you know your kids, don't you? You know you know who, what ones you can do that with, and what ones you can't. That's, absolutely, it comes down to you as a teacher having to know your class. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose you could set that as a see like at the start when you're working like see when you go through like your maybe like your expectations and all that sort of stuff at the very start of the year or the start of a term you can maybe touch on that as well just saying when when I give you feedback please don't take it as a as a personal attack or as if you are doing something um, wrong do you know what I mean it's my feedback is simply here to try and help you because at the end of the day we want the best for you so I think uh, it could be something to speak about you know what I mean yeah, and I think that 
just said you can set your expectation and say, I'm doing it to help you and support you, and you're here to learn, and that's the whole purpose of school. Mm-hmm. Is learning. Aye. Absolutely. No, but that was just a, an extra wee thing that I thought was quite, um, was obviously quite a useful piece of information to take on board. I've just been more mindful of how you are giving that feedback, uh, feedback out. Um, but no, something that I was um, really keen to find out more about tonight and just touched touch quite a lot on it was the lesson evaluation toolkit and being a part of our learning teaching working group in Masco. It's something that we've been discussing in um, recent meetings that we've been having. Um, and I think that's the next stage for us is to, um, we've got a, an example lesson evaluation toolkit. And I guess it's just to look through that to get ideas of what can I, how it's laid out and what are the kind of key features of it, the elements, the um, what those elements look like in practice and then how you're going to actually evaluate those things within your teaching. Um, so I, I like what Bruce said about how get the people that are involved in a learning teaching working group to do a wee bit of prior reading. So it can be like a chapter in a book um, of what great teaching and learning is and have that shared understanding um, and plan it together so that... Um, it's it could even be a podcast as well. Aye, aye absolutely. Um, but it's just as long as everybody's referred to mm-hmm. some, some sort of learning. Aye, or everyone in the working group's referred to that same, same piece of learning what makes kind of um, high quality teaching and learning so that a discussion can be had and then you can kind of co-create it with everybody and before like you said, put it out to, to whole staff and trying to actually implement it within your school. So I think it's a very useful thing and like we, we spoke about as well how handy, how helpful it would be for students that are coming out and Obviously for us as well, like if you're going in, you're watching someone in your department or someone's coming in to observe you, um, you can give them specific areas from the teaching, the, the lesson mm-hmm. evaluation toolkit to, that you feel like you would like feedback on. Absolutely. Um, so, but that's, that's, the, that's obviously the ideal, that's the ideal world, isn't it? Trying to get to that, not the ideal world, that's maybe not the right term to use, but that's the kind of goal that we should be maybe striving towards to get something like that up and running fully within our school and creating that culture where everyone feels comfortable enough to um, dip in and out of people's lessons and feel confident enough to get people to give you feedback on your right. teaching. Because we're do, trying you know what, to... do you know what, Lewis? I think you're absolutely spot on. Everything's evolving and changing at such a rapid pace and the only way to combat that is through professional learning and you spoke about that very, very well and so did Bruce. So I'm not even going to attempt to do any better than you. So <laughs> I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think that just rounds us off very nicely uh, to the end of this episode. Thanks very much everybody for listening to this week's episode just before you go can you do us a favor and give us a wee mention on twitter if you would like to have any future guests or episodes covered lewis is thinking about something down the line of well lewis and i well-being um maybe the importance of sleep nutrition nutrition yes any 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 nutritionists out there or if you know any nutritionists get in touch we'd love to hear from you I would love to hear from any sleep experts, anybody that can get 12 hours a night, get in touch with us. That'd be very good to know how you're doing that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Wee Bit of Everything podcast. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.